Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. This is a continuation of my interview with my really good friend, Robert Logan, about his book, new book, The Church Planner's Journey. I think you're going to really enjoy it if you can overlook the echoiness of my voice. I'm not sure what's going wrong. I'm still learning how to do this podcasting. So if you forgive me for the weird sound, I think you're going to really enjoy what my friend Bob has to share. And so the life cycle of a church starts with preparation. Uh, And the preparation stage, you have to take a look at at who you are, your values, your vision. And, And the vision, by the way, for church planting is to make disciples who make disciples and gather these group these disciples into groups now depends on your model of ministry uh, whether that's a network of house churches or whether you actually then bring them together in a celebration service or even multiply that to multi-site or any number of models are possible you have to have that vision and values firmly in place and in mind And then you have to get a confirmation of your uh, role and involvement in church planting. Uh, Dr. Charles Ridley, a number of years ago, did a qualitative research project, what's called a job factor analysis on the profile of a church planter. And he uncovered um, 13 different uh, competencies with a whole bunch of behavioral expressions that uh, unpack that. And uh, of those, there are six that he, what he calls knockout factors, that if you're low on one of them, it would be a, a, a yellow light. If you're low on two of them, it'd be a red light, uh, such as visionizing capacity is one of those. You know, the capacity to be able to, to start something from nothing that actually uh, sustains itself. In other words, it's not just being a visionary, but it's actually being a visionary that translates it into something that becomes reality. And if a person has no history of starting something from nothing that sustains, uh, just giving you a church planter hat isn't going to, isn't going to. And so you, the way to do that in, in your situation, you know, the best way of course, is to have direct observation of their behavior. And that's what you did in your ministry. Right. As you worked with people, you would hands-on, uh, observe what they're doing and then uh, confirm their calling in, in the competencies by what you've seen them do and then enroll them in some training program to help them to flesh out what's needed further yeah. in their development. But if you don't have that kind of, of, of confirmation objectively from people that know what they're doing, the, uh, a behavioral interview could be very powerful. And it's a it's about a four hour interview process, uh, the and and then the assessment and then a report that actually measures your competence against the profile of a church planter with a prediction of your capacity to be able to do this or not. So that's an important piece. Then you got to go get training, of course, to be able to know. But I, but I, the training I think is more on the job. You know, you get an yeah. orientation. The book gives you an orientation. Right. But then, but then I would get a coach. 
sure. uh, I would start working with some other uh, church planting peers, uh, be in a learning community. It helps you to be able to move forward and so forth. And, and, and then be prepared for the fact that it's going to be tough. That's all preparation. Then the next is the conception phase, which is you're you know, going to build your core team and figure out who do you need around you to be able to, to uh, function effectively, how to make sure they get on the page with you, because it's very important to have agenda harmony, uh, to be able to have them sharing the same values, and to recognize when there's a, dis there's a dissonance between what you say your values are and what your values actually are by your practice, that you start taking steps to say, how do you bridge that gap? So talk, talk just a little bit about identifying that dis dissonance before we go on. Yeah, well, basically, uh, when you say it's a value, you should be able to say, here's how I spend my time, here's what I do, here's how I spend my money, uh, here's, here's my behaviors that are evidence that that value is real in my life. And if it's a real value, then you should have all sorts of illustrations of that in terms of your practice. If you don't have that, then then it's just an aspired value, not an actual value. So a calendar and a checkbook are, are going to give us you know, pretty good evidence of our values. Absolutely right. Absolutely That's right. Good. So if you value hospitality, for instance, which is which is not only offering hospitality to others, but receiving the hospitality of others, you know, going into their worlds, you should have many examples of that in your life. Uh, otherwise, it's just something you just say because it sounds nice. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, take so, us forward. I interrupted you. I, I want to. Yeah, not that. a problem. So you build the core team. Then you got to know who you're trying to reach. And see, today, as you as you well know, Ralph, we're living in a very very secular world, and and so the stuff that worked 30, 40 years ago, you know, uh, isn't going to be necessarily as effective today. Yeah. We have to be incarnational. We have to enter into the world of the people we're trying to reach and build authentic relationships and to serve in ways that, that show the love of Jesus in practical, tangible ways. And then to invite them into a conversation to be able to what it means to follow Jesus. And so therefore, in that sense, we're very much like missionaries today. And, it, and it's really a cross-cultural work. And that means you got to get to know them so that you can know what is good news to these people. And how do you make the connect points? Uh, then, then from there, once you know the people you're trying to reach, you can design an effective ministry model. And, and see, this is where people try and copy models. You, know, and that's, you don't want to put David in Saul's armor. You know, what you want to do is figure out who you are, what are the people you're trying to reach need, and then what's the kind of structure that, that allows that to happen. Now, the one non-negotiable for my worldview is that the making of disciples, the starting and multiplying of groups, whatever you call them, missional communities, disciple-making communities, life groups, cell groups, doesn't matter the name, but the church in microcosm yes, um, as a small group unit where you can live life together on mission is the core. Now, how you organize those groups to relate to each other is, is a reflection of your model. All right. But in my understanding, that's the, the core. And then out of that disciple-making ministry is where you spot your leaders and then develop your other ministries. And, and so you want to create what I call a ministry flow chart that is descriptive of how do you take somebody who has no connection with Christ whatsoever, and how do you help them introduce them to Jesus to get connected, to use their gifts, and to develop their full capacity uh, in terms of what God has called them to do. 
So that's your model, uh, effective ministry. Of course, you have to get financial support. So I have a whole chapter on that. Uh, how do you get support? In what ways? Um, uh, being bivocational or what now we sometimes call co-vocational. I, I'm hearing that term now more. Um, and uh, uh, or raising missionary support or whatever. But you have to face the fact that that uh, for most of us, we do have to live. Yeah. And uh, tent making is a very viable option. And Paul modeled that for us. But that whole chapter on finances is one we don't want to skip because That's right. you can't have stress on that. You need to figure out how to make it happen. It's um, then and then develop your church planning proposal, and and even if you're not trying to go raise money, uh, a proposal is great because it helps you to communicate. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's our strategy. Here's who we're trying to reach. Here's our model of ministry. Here's how you can be involved, and so forth. That that is helpful. Now you know, Ralph, that no church plant ever goes according to the plan. Absolutely true. However it's so much nicer to have a plan that then you can modify when you see how God is working yes. and you'll be far more effective. Yes. So that's all just, that gets you through the preparation and conception phase. And that's half the book. <laughs> now the reason for all that, that carefulness is because so often people just go off half cocked and try and do it. And then you get, then you create a problem and, and then you got to go try and go back and retrofit it. And that's really tough. It's really hard to do. So it's better yeah. to get started properly. And so then you go to the, uh, the prenatal stage is where you're casting vision. Uh, you're, you're reaching other people to help with the, the funding. You're finding team members. You're uh, connecting in the, in the community, casting vision. Then you engage the culture, you know, asking how can we really serve and man, be the hands and feet of Jesus in this context? How do we build those redemptive, helpful relationships? to then be able to bridge them toward discipling. Uh, then there's a whole chapter on how to making disciples. Uh, and, and there's many different approaches to doing it. The thing I want to keep in mind is that discipleship is something that is, it's, it's truly uh, relational. It needs to be intentional. Yes. It needs to be developmental and focused. And so we're not just running people through a curriculum because we yeah. don't want to educate people beyond their obedience what we want to do is come alongside people and help them figure out what's the next step God's asking you in your personal development. What's the next step he's asking you in your, in your ministry of reaching out to others and helping them grow. And so that's really critical. And so it's mosaic in terms of how God really develops people. Unpack the word mosaic just a couple seconds. Uh, mosaic versus linear. Too often we want to follow a curriculum. It's point one, point two, point three, point four, and in you know, in in the way many of us were taught, if we had formal training, it was kind of an outline format, which is good. It's helpful to be able to coalesce things in, in a thinking kind of a way, but that's not how God disciples us. All right. You know, He points out an area of need in our life over here, and then He he helps us grow there and then he jumps us over here and we grow over here and then he loops back to where we were and helps us go deeper there. And it's like putting a picture of a puzzle together, if you would. And the spirit of God is the one that is, is orchestrating our development and he's the one that's involved in that process. And so the, the secret to good discipling is how do you have intentional relationships that help people to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying, what's next in their ministry and what's next in their personal growth, 
and then to cooperate with the spirit to see that agenda become a reality. Then you can pull a piece of scripture that might be helpful or something over here to apply it to that, those action steps they're going to take. But that's the way I, I tend to view discipling. There's many different ways to get at it, but those are, that's the core of it from my vantage point. That's wonderful. Really because wonderful. we really have to respect the Holy Spirit because the fact of the matter is that, that God is resonant inside of every believer and every believer has the capacity to hear from God. And so it's not up to us to tell people what to do. 90% of the time, we can just ask them, what's God want to do with you? And if there's a trusting relationship, they'll open up and share with you. And of course, there's that time that we have opportunity to speak into somebody's life and so forth. But for the most part, they already know. They just need supportive yeah. help to get there, which yeah. you know that. Yeah. Uh, and then out of that, the prenatal then is to start and multiply these disciple-making communities. You know, this is really, really important. If you're going to have a public worship service, it's really important you have your first converts before you form your first groups. You need to have your first groups multiply before you have your first service. Because we're not in the business of starting a church service. Yeah. We're in the business of making disciples. And whatever happens uh, after the birth, I mean, before the birth, whatever happens before the birth is what's going to be replicated after the birth. And so if people aren't reaching out and building bridges and you're not seeing disciples being made and multiplied and groups being raised up and multiply, you're not going to have that DNA right. And that's critical. Yeah, I read a blog this morning, someone complaining about in my church plant, no one will volunteer for anything. Uh, and, and my impression immediately was they didn't start a church. They started a church service. A, a, a church service is an event. The church is a relationship. And, and, they, and we're missing the boat in a lot of our church punting efforts because of that. Right, right. And so that's, that, that takes it to the prenatal stage so that at that point, you're now ready if you're going to have worship services, and not all churches do, some become stay a decentralized network of, of house churches and so forth. But most, most of course, will actually have some sort of a gathering weekly or sometimes just monthly. Um, but, but what you want to make sure before you have that is that you are seeing disciples being made and multiplying. You're seeing groups started. And, and so that all the DNA of all the essential functions of the church are already happening. Then... A worship service, a worship celebration can be a wonderful overflow yes. Yes. of all that life in God and all that ministry that you're doing together and celebrating the goodness of God. And, and it's really wonderful because that's not the focus. That's just the party. Yeah, That's just the opportunity to, to say how wonderful God is and, and to encourage each other uh, all the more by hearing what's going on. And so I do have a chapter on, um, on worship and launching public worship. Uh, but so often everybody focuses on that as if that's the main thing. Yes. And, and it really isn't. We're about making disciples and these yes. disciples gather in groups and, and help each other to become all that Jesus wants to become and be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus in the world and so forth. Then the ongoing growth, uh, the keep going, you're then developing leaders. And uh, how do you provide that kind of intentional coming alongside uh, the apprenticing model, the, all that hands-on? It's the same way you disciple people, but, yes. but rather, and, and here's a critical piece, that you don't want to pick people at leaders that aren't growing disciples. Right. You know, as, as you well know, in our churches, there's, there's a huge problem. Churches are filled with non-following believers 
led by non-growing disciples. Yep. And, and what we want to do is to help people to, to be fruitful as disciples. Then those fruitful disciples are the ones you just tap on to, to, to develop as leaders, which by the way, when I do work with, with uh, people and ask them, what are your leadership challenges? They make a whole long list. And then I ask them, so what, what, which of these are actually discipleship problems, not leadership problems? 70 to 90% of the things they listed were actually discipleship problems. Yeah. Because all of us are called to be disciples. Right. Leaders are disciples who then have certain skills. Yeah. And I've identified 37 leadership skills that are, that are important for leaders to have. And we have leadership skill guides to do that. that, that I'm, I'm getting off track. So, but developing leaders to help them in that way to move forward and then to uh, help them with the organizational uh, evaluation and development, because as a church grows, what works during one phase of your church's life is not going to work in the next phase. And so how do you make those adjustments and have those systems of evaluation, reflection, and refocusing to shift gears so you don't avoid stalling out, you know, strategically planning and, and, and I, I like to use this phrase that I heard, I think, from John Wimber, that the, the plan is nothing. Planning as a process is everything. That's good. And see, what we want to do is to, 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 to seek the Lord, team up with others, to assess where we're at, celebrate the good stuff, figure out what adjustments need to be made, and move forward. I, I call it fuzzy planning. Uh, you can have the plan, but hold it lightly, but don't be so arrogant as to think you don't need to plan yeah god plans uh i'm i'm grateful the fact that there is a plan that god yes. has and it, it's culminating over history That's right. does a plan need to be flexible absolutely so we don't want to be locked in by it but we don't want to be so arrogant as to think we don't need to you know because then we're saying we don't need to do what god does yeah so so we we can do that kind of fuzzy planning how to figure out how to navigate uh, change and growth and so forth. And then finally, there's a chapter on multiplying movements. And, uh, and, and the vision for, for the uh, church planting that I have and what keeps me up every and gets me up every morning is that vision in Revelation chapter 7, where we see people from every tribe, language, and people group uh, uh, singing praise to God throughout all of eternity. And, and see, the mandate of making disciples is, starts in our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria and the ends of the earth. And the organizing principle as the making and multiplying of disciples. And, and so I want to do everything I can to help populate that worship service throughout all of eternity. That, in summary, is the book. That's wonderful. That is really wonderful. One of the things that I've noticed... Um, are what I call bridge people. And to me, this is our Samaria. You know, the Samaritans were part Jews, part something else. I, I was in Helsinki, Finland recently. I was with 1,500 uh, charismatic Lutherans. And they're, they're desperate to, you know, they don't want to violate their own parish system, so they can't call them churches, so they want to start new worshiping communities. But in, in the midst of this lily-white audience was one uh, African girl. She was from Namibia, and we interviewed her. She was kind of shy. And you know, I asked her, do you, "Do you have uh, family here?" "Oh yeah, I do." Uh, "Do you have friends who are also from Namibia?" "Yes." "Do you have uh, friends who are from other African nations?" "Yes." 
And so here's a, a person who has has reached into a community that's not going to feel comfortable with 1,500 white people. And she's a bridge person. She's a treasure. And, you know, one of the things that we've learned is to really look for those kind of people and see how we can how we can fulfill that uh, Revelation 7 vision. And, and our part of it is to reach those who are living among us. Right, and and the methodology is is quite simply discipling her to make disciples, and to figure out what's next in her reaching out to those folks that are in her, her network and spheres of influence, and and then what's next in her personal growth, and just continue that process, and then over time you could see a new group that begins and starts and multiplies, and and we might have a church planter there with that woman that you talked about. That's exactly what I think, and and. You know, sometimes that means we got to redefine church. Uh, it may be a church of five people, at least in seed form, but it really comes back to somebody relating to her and, and discipling her because if that doesn't happen, nothing's going to happen. I, I just want to say thank you for taking time to be with us and thank you for, uh, for your life, for all you've given to all of us. Uh, your tools have just benefited hundreds of thousands of people that may that may be uh diminishing it really and um and thank you for this book uh, again what's the book where can i find it it's called the church planning journey and you can find it on amazon in a kindle or print form great thanks for taking time to be with us god bless thanks ralph appreciate it If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.